Hey, Playmakers, real quick before we get into today's episode, if you're one of those listeners that just cannot wait for that next episode to drop, and if you're over on YouTube and my website binging my content there, I just wanted to say thank you. It means the world to me. But just remember, the free stuff will only get you so far. So if you want my complete proven blueprint for opening a successful and sustainable play cafe or indoor playground business that is profitable from day one, I want to invite you to join me inside my signature course, Play Cafe Academy. Head to the show notes right now to get instant on-demand access to all 12 modules, your detailed pre-launch checklist, your 34-page business plan template, your plug-and-play financial model to help you estimate your startup costs and project your revenue, and everything you need to save time, money, and frustration throughout your entire opening process. For a limited time right now, you'll also get an entire month of free access to Playmaker Society, my invite-only membership created exclusively for Play Cafe Academy students who want to work with me personally to optimize and scale their businesses through coaching, guest experts, legal and operations templates, and plug-and-play resources, plus collaboration with over 220 other owners, plus so much more. Head to the show notes and choose your preferred way to pay in full or over time right now. You'll get more information on the current bonuses. You'll see some success stories of those who have gone before you and exactly what to expect when you join us inside the program. I will see you there. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. All right, Playmakers, welcome back. It's me, your host, Michelle Caruana, and I am so excited to bring this guest expert interview to you today before we head into a quick week-long break to celebrate the Christmas holiday. And I thought this would be the perfect topic for this time of year because, spoiler alert, today we are talking all about toys. In today's episode, I am thrilled to welcome Ajal Wade, aka The Toy Coach, And to give you a little context, after 12 plus years of working in the corporate toy industry, Ajal has now transitioned into coaching up and coming toy creators online with her company, The Toy Coach. She does this through her online course called Toy Creators Academy, which you'll hear her refer to as TCA throughout the interview. So just a quick little note, that is not to be confused with PCA, which is my course, Play Cafe Academy. So again, Her course is called Toy Creators Academy, and she also coaches through her podcast called Making It in the Toy Industry and her YouTube channel, which I'm going to link in the show notes. So whether you have the creative bug that is telling you to invent or launch a toy, or whether you would like to learn how to curate a really intentional retail section in your play space by working with up-and-coming and independent toy creators to increase sales and better your customer experience, this episode is for you. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Ajal Wade, aka The Toy Coach. And after you're done listening, don't forget to check out the show notes for all the ways to connect and learn more from Ajal. Hi, thanks so much for joining us today. 
Hi, Michelle. It's my it's my pleasure. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. We connected months ago and I finally was able to get you on the show. So do you want to kick things off and introduce yourself a little bit and let us know who you are and who you serve? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Ajelle Wade. I'm also known in my industry as the toy coach, and I help people who want to develop toy products, make them real and get them into stores or license them to toy companies. That's awesome. And we first connected through um, one of our mutual mentors, and I was so amazed to hear about your business. I've been following you ever since, and I love how you call yourself the toy coach and how everybody in your industry kind of knows you as that. I think it's it's so fun. So how did you get into that? Oh, well, I just love kids. So I don't have any yet, uh, but I love kids. So I actually wanted to be a teacher. Um, then I just went to a design route. So I was designing kids exhibitions. And while I was studying that, a teacher said, hey, you know, there's a toy design program here since you keep making everything toy themed. And I moved into the toy design major and the rest is history. So um, can you tell us a little bit about um, your professional background in working with toy toy development and kind of how you got to this area of expertise? Yeah. So uh, my first uh, out of toy design career job was a Horizon Group USA, and I was a part of their new product development team. And with them, I literally, my job was to look at the market, find market opportunities or white space in the market as I teach my students and say, we can fill this. I'm going to invent a product for it. And I would just invent things. And some of those products got patented and would be sold at Walmarts and Targets and others never saw the light of day. (laughs) And that's what I did full time, just invent new things. Then eventually I got a job working at Toys R Us and I was the uh, uh, head of design, the design manager for all their Girls World Brands, which was like six different products from baby dolls to happy together play sets and houses. Um, And then from there, I was the VP of brand and product at a company called Creative Kids. I managed hundreds of SKUs uh, every year where we would be developing items for Big Lots and BJs and Target and all that stuff. A lot of working with factories overseas, a lot of design work on my own computers and devices and hiring teams and training them. And then I, you know, broke away, did my own thing as a toy coach. That's awesome. So what made you want to kind of break away from working with the larger corporations to wanting to work with individuals and entrepreneurs? Because that's such an interesting transition. The pandemic. So <laughs> the pan- yeah, the pandemic just changed my perspective on how much time you should be spending at home. I didn't know that the whole world was going to go to like mostly work from home, home or jobs that had that. Maybe I would have waited. Um, but I just thought, how ridiculous is it that I'm spending all this time earning this money, paying for this home and this car, and I literally never get time to enjoy any of it. And I just remember thinking one day, like, there has to be a better way. And I had been floating around this this idea of doing something other than a job, but I didn't think it could replace my income. Uh, but eventually I came up with the idea to do a course because of our mutual mentor. And um, then I said, okay, I'm going to try this. But in the meantime, I'll do freelance. So I just did a little freelance to figure things out, built my program, launched it, and it was a success. Awesome. So can you talk a little bit about your program? So if yeah. somebody listening is you know, maybe has that same passion, right? For kids and for play, but they don't necessarily have an idea yet, but they know that, you know, maybe they have a toy idea in them. Where does somebody kind of find you in the process? Where does your course and programs help people? 
Uh, it helps you at any stage of the process. Unfortunately, people tend to find me once they've already made a lot of mistakes and they might already have a bad factory that they're working with that isn't delivering their goods. And they come to me and they're like, Ajelle, am, am I too late in the process to join your program? But I say, no, come on in. We teach them how to do the market research the way that corporate executives do it so that they can be sure that the product they're developing will actually sell and they won't just be sitting on inventory. And then we connect them with the, the factories that can actually produce that product successfully and timely so that you can actually make sales, right? Um, so I wish people would find me earlier when they just have the idea, because the program is designed for people that have an idea or just have an idea that they want to have an idea. It is literally step one is going into the market, researching it and understanding it like a buyer. And usually that very first module inspires people with all new ideas. People come into my program and they're like, Ajel, I joined with one idea, but through your program, I realized that was not a good idea and it already exists. And now I have other ideas. That's so cool. And it's, we have a lot of parallels with how yeah. we find people, a lot of people, unfortunately find me after they sign a lease and they're kind of locked in and then I'm limited in the ways that I can help them. So it's interesting to hear that process. So can you expand on that a little bit? Meaning I know what step one is now, but can you kind of give us a high level overview? You know, if we want to create a toy or something similar, what what does the process look like kind of from start to finish, again, from a very high level perspective? Yeah, well, I use my course as the framework to explain this because I literally organized it that way. So module one or step one, market research. So this is where you need to go to toy stores and you want to change the way that you see toy stores. You don't want to see toys on a shelf. You want to see, honestly, dollars and cents. You want to be able to look at a product and guess that's probably a $19.99 product. That's a $54.99 product. You want to be able to, I know this sounds weird, but guess the packaging size just by looking at it. You want to know that Target shelves are normally 14 inches tall. So that means they normally like their boxes to be 12 or 12.5 inches tall so they can comfortably fit but not be too big, right? So that's the kind of stuff that you get really good at in module one and step one. Then step two, you got to refine your idea. Whatever that initial idea was you had, it's probably not the best idea. And you'll see that from your research. So now how do you take that, what you learned in that research to refine that initial idea and make it better or brainstorm something new? Step three, module three in TCA is all about like choosing your path. So like there are different ways to monetize your idea in the toy industry, whether you work corporate or you're an inventor or you're an entrepreneur, but all the steps following which path you choose are different. There are things you don't have to worry about as an inventor, things you don't have to worry about as an entrepreneur, a lot of things you don't have to worry about if you're corporate. So you've got to understand those three paths and then pick one. And then step four, once you've chosen a path, you need to market yourself in that path. So how do you market yourself as a corporate professional? How do you market yourself as an entrepreneur or an inventor? Inventor. That's what we do in, in module four, step four. Um, and then module five is all about developing the actual product. So whether you are, in, if you're in corporate, you're going to, you might have a team that you work with to help you develop something. Or um, if you're, or you might hire freelancers, if you're working in a smaller corporate company where they might hire freelancers to help develop things. And if you're an entrepreneur, you also might hire freelancers. If you're an inventor, again, you might hire freelancers or do some of that work on your own to keep costs lower. Um, and that is what we explain in module five. 
how does that process of development work from finding like the, well, from choosing the right freelancer, honestly, like, do I need a doll designer? Do I need a product designer? Do I need a plush designer? Do I need an industrial designer? Do I need a graphic designer? Are, what are all those different things? Finding them, getting the right work for hiring agreements in place so you don't lose ownership of your idea. That is something so many people uh, miss and forget, and then they end up not owning their whole idea. So don't forget that. Um, and then just working out all of the mechanics. So by the end of module five or step five, you want to have what they call like a spec pack, um, which details what your product is, how big it is, what it looks like, what it's made of and all of that. You use that and your bill of materials or BOM to go to a factory. When you go to a factory in module six, um, you want to vet that factory. So that's why we break down how you find a factory, how you vet that factory to make sure they're actually going to deliver your product on time and on quality and safety tested. So that's step six. Then step seven is where you dive into marketing. So you've already made your marketing plan. Now you have to put it into action. So I'm big on award marketing, getting awards for your product, but it's very important that you know, what are the toy awards? Like, like not just any awards. What are the like most esteemed toy awards? How do you apply for them? What does it mean once you get them? Should you be at the award show? All of that stuff. Um, but there are other marketing strategies that you can into, uh, integrate it well as well, which we talk about in module seven. Then from the rest of the program and the rest of the steps for developing your own toy idea, kind of split depending on what your path is. If you're an inventor, you will go down the path of licensing, which is our module eight. Um, and that is like, how, what does it mean to license? It means that you're selling your idea to a company and the company will produce the product and give you a cut or a royalty on what they sell. And then if you are an entrepreneur, you're actually going to follow the details of module nine and module nine or step nine um, is what would teach you how to prepare your product to pitch for retail. I actually just released an incredible podcast episode and addition to the program because I always give my TCA or something extra um, where we detail a, an eight phase process to pitch your idea, your idea to retailers in a way that it stands out from the other pitches that they receive. And that relies heavily on data, sales data. So that's the general process. That's really interesting. And a couple mental notes I made because I have experience in the retail industry as well, but in the grocery industry, and you are so right that shelf space really plays a huge factor because they might get a four foot space for a category. Yes, and, You know, that space is very precious. You know, a lot of people who you know, are used to online business and things like that. They're not used to real scarcity and real space limitations like there are in the physical world. So that's something that is so interesting. And just hearing you talk about that is so eye-opening because, you know, I have zero experience in the toy industry. So thank you so much for breaking it down in sure such a thing. practical way. Because I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast or who follow me, they're poised in such a unique position where we're around play all the time. We purchase more toys than the average person. We observe play more than the average person. So I know that a lot of people listening probably maybe not have a specific idea yet, but they, you know, at least have the passion to, you know, better the play options out there and things like that. So thank you so much for breaking it down like that. So for maybe the people who are, you know, working on an idea or refining an idea, do you have any examples of, you know, toys that you've helped launch recently or some client stories um, from your TCAers maybe just to kind of get our wheels turning a little bit? Yeah. So stories focusing around sales or product development? Product development, I think is a good place to start. 
Yeah, I got two great stories actually kind of connected. So I just had a call with a student who told me, Agel, I joined your course when you first started it and I finally launched my product. Life got in the way. Um, but she said, you know, I'm so excited. Hope you share it with your network. And I said, yes, let's get on a phone call. So we get on this phone call and she tells me about her journey and what happened, why it took so long. And oh my God, I'm going to cry. Just think about it because it's so beautiful. So she tells me that um, she connected with somebody in our community who she was sharing like, you know, I've been working with this factory for a year. They said they would de deliver this product, but they didn't deliver the product as they said they would. It's really not coming out how I want it to. And she hadn't used any of the factories that I'd recommended. She had joined TCA again, already having done her initial, and she was just using TCA to fill in gaps. So then the person she connected with in the community said, don't be afraid to start over. And she said, okay. So she started over and went back to the factory resource list that we have and chose a factory from there. And she said within three weeks, they were able to have that first sample and she was off to the races. Now her product is out developed and selling. Um, now, what's interesting about this story is I asked her, who was it that told you that you shouldn't be afraid to start over? And the student that she mentioned was a student whom I said the same thing to when she joined TCA. <laughs> and I love that. I love that moment so much. So this other student, Samantha from Joey Doll, she created a line of Asia Asian dolls. And when she joined TCA, she she already had a factory she was working with, but they just would not give her the product she wanted. They were like, no, we can't do that. We can't give you that fabric. We can't do this. We can't do that. And she was in our coaching calls telling me about it. And every time I'm listening to her, I'm like, I really hate to tell you this. I know you've been working with them for a while, but you need to start over. Like they are not the factory for you. If you're having this many problems now, what do you think is going to happen when you go to production? And she's like, well, can I even do that? Is it okay to start over? I'm like, yes, it's okay. You've paid them for their services. You know, if they had services for sample development, you've paid them for that. It is time to move on because they can't or don't want to deliver you what you need. She moved on. She developed a doll line that sold like $2,000 in the first two days of their launch. And she's just rocking and rolling it on national TV and Canada and so much more. So yeah, I love it. That's some great stories. So kind of exploring the other side that you alluded to a little bit. So I think a big misconception that a lot of people that I speak to in the indoor play industry have is they think, oh, for something so niche, like for example, an Asian doll, you know, what could the market potentially be? So do you have any success stories that you want to share regarding sales or the impact that somebody has been able to make on the industry with such a niche product? Because I think that's so interesting. Yeah, the industry is shifting. So usually in the past, we used to say things like, you know, toy designers don't design products. Walmart does. Like that was an industry inside joke. Um, but these days, what's interesting, I would almost say like toy designers don't design products. Influencers do <laughs> because influencers or if you can build a social following or an email following for yourself, that can drive so much business. That's what Samantha did. So, um, yeah, I would say the, the, there is the same way that you and I are focused on small niches, the same way a lot of course creators are focused on small niches. The toy industry has a whole crop of people popping up for small niches and the growth that was in last year, the, the growth that the toy industry experienced last year was actually due, I believe the number was 70% 
in part to specialty toy stores, which usually carry more niche product. So consumers are getting more specific about where they're spending their money. They want more specific product to them and their kids. Even as a society, we're getting so culturally diverse. There's more opportunities for like really specific products, like an Asian black doll. Like there is like space for that because we have those families. Um, so yeah, I think there's a, it's the, it's like the wild west now for like toy mini niches. Well, I love that. And that actually perfectly transitions into like part two of the conversation I wanted to have because almost all of the people listening to this podcast probably sell a unique collection of toys. And this is something that we've seen in the indoor play industry as well, where we're shifting away from people wanting, like, I'm just going to say the name, but like Melissa and Doug type toys to more unique, um, more creative, more niche type products, things that they can't find on Amazon, things that aren't going to show up in every single person's house. And there's a much bigger emphasis on, you know, diversity, inclusion, sustainability. So um, when it comes to, you know, from kind of the other perspective now, from, you know, a lot of people who are trying to curate these really intentional collections of toys, how can we as unique toy store owners or um, indoor playground owners who are looking to curate this collection of toys, how can we find these niche products and connect to these toy creators that you work with? Um, yeah, you know, reach out to me or Michelle and we will hook you up. We've got a little special list we're developing just for you. Yes, I can. Um, but if you want to do this on your own, you know, there are big toy trade shows. Um, Astra is the specialty toy trade show, the largest one. You want to go to a show like that, but all, but look at um, the booths that are kind of on the edges. There are actually new inventor booths that are smaller and along the edges that you'd want to pay attention to. Um, but then also a lot of my students will start at craft fairs, especially local ones, because they can't travel so far. So that would be another, um, another way to start uh, if you can't connect with uh, Michelle and I. Um, but another place would be Instagram, but I would just, I would just caution you to ask the right questions because something I have to teach even my students is you do not sell until you have inventory because some of my students come in, they get their first prototype. They're so excited. They're like, Ajelle, I'm going to go to a toy trade show and sell it. And then they sell it and then their shipment doesn't come in. And now this toy store owner hasn't paid up front, but they were expecting a product that they can't get, right? So I teach my students, like, you are not selling till you know you're going to have this product. It either has to be a month away so that if you're selling it, you can tell them we'll have it in three months, give yourself cushion time, or you have to have it in storage, in a warehouse somewhere. So I would say if you're looking for niche products and you look on um, Amazon or you look on Etsy, you want to make sure that one, they have a registered business that does this. You want to ask them about their testing, their safety testing reports, because if they haven't gone through TCA, if they're just starting on their own, they don't know about that. Um, You also want to ask them how much inventory they have in stock. If they're just starting out, they might not even know why you're asking that, um, but you as a store owner are asking to know if they can actually fulfill your order. Um, and then you want to ask them about specials. Don't expect them like other larger uh, companies to just know that they should give you specials because they're newbies and they don't always know or they forget or they didn't look at that module of my program. <laughs> and, 
And so ask them about specials. Like, what can you give me um, for a first time startup? And even ask them about um, in-store demos. So many of them would love to, if they're close enough, come to your store and show people how to play with the product or game. They just don't know it's an option or they don't know if you'd be open to it and they don't want to rock the boat. They're just trying to get a sale. They're like, I just don't want to ruin it. I just want to get a sale. So if you love the product, but you think it might need like some demo, ask them, are you open to doing like a demo once a month for the first three months as we get this uh, product rolling? And I feel like there's opportunity as well. If they aren't close enough, maybe providing that business owner with a little training or a packet or a video demonstration so that they can kind of take charge in that way and maybe incorporate, like, let's say the, I'm, I keep coming back to the Asian doll, but maybe there's, you know, Asian heritage month. Maybe they can incorporate that doll into their event that they're hosting or a seasonal festival that they're hosting or something similar. Um, and it doesn't have to be just centered around that toy. It can be a bunch of different toys that are um, included. So I feel like there are many different ways where, you know, us brick and mortar business owners can work with these niche toy creators. Um, yes. Even if they're and- not local. And even asking them to do special displays. I've had um, some toy store owners say, I love this product, but I don't have space on my shelf. Do you actually have an idea for a ceiling display for it? And the creator was so excited to create that. Like these independent creators, you know, you might be one of their first five stores. They want to make it work. They're excited. They'll give you a pop-up, a POP unit if they can. They'll give you a shelf talker. They'll do a display, whatever you want. Just ask, you know, if they can do it, they're going to do it. So have you seen any, I mean, I know you just gave us a ton of examples, but are there any other creative ways that we, you know, because again, a lot of the indoor playground owners I work with are kind of shifting away from the more readily available toys that everyone already has, that everyone can find on Amazon. They're kind of making that shift right now. Um, Do you have any other creative ways to really engage in like customer education almost or help these toy owners market their products so that they're actually moving off the shelves. Yeah, it depends on the product. If it's plush, a PDQ works really well to keep the product together and the PDQ can have a lot of information about the product. So ask, you know, your supplier, do you have a PDQ available? How many units is in it? Um and I'm sure your people already know this and how much it will cost and and is it uh is the PDQ itself included in the price. Um and then I would say shelf talkers. People have gotten really comfortable with QR codes. So I I've seen a lot of shelf talkers with like an intro about the person behind the product and those are good, but I really think QR code additions to how to use or how to play so a customer can scan it right there and see the product you want to you want it to scan to a product video like showing the product in action i would encourage your um your suppliers to offer something like that just give us a, a shelf talker for every case that we get that has a qr code that leads to a 60 second or 30 second honestly 30 second i take that back 30 second video that demonstrates how the product is used something else that we've kind of seen a lot of success with is like user generated content Oh, Um, yes. Is that something that you're seeing as well in the toy industry? 
I haven't seen too much of it, but what what I do see is toy retailers are asking, how are you going to drive um, traffic to our store? So it's sell the idea of sell through selling through the product that retailers purchase used to be like a retailer focused issue, but now it's more of a partnership. So I am seeing people just figuring out what their marketing plan is. And I could see you injecting user-generated content or money toward user-generated content there. But with my students, they're kind of just starting out. So they're just starting with their social, um, like their social media marketing. So they're not doing that so much, but the larger players like Spin Masters, Hasbro's, yeah, they're they're in that social uh, user-generated content game. Yeah. And that might actually be another creative way that these niche toy creators can work with indoor playground owners. I feel like there's you know, a huge opportunity because they're having so many different kinds of kids in the door every single day. That could be another kind of partnership opportunity that you never know, you know, until you ask, I guess, if if they'd be willing to kind of partner in that way. Oh, and like get user-generated content made at their store? Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. I wonder if it was like, we will give you a discount if, you know, like yeah, you and can get I mean, this special. Yeah, yeah, because again, like you said, it's all about a partnership, right? We all mm-hmm. want, you know, a mutually beneficial agreement. So yes. a big objection, the place this is coming from is, you know, a lot of my students and a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, they just weather the pandemic. And unfortunately, you know, the brick and mortar industry was hit very hard as, you know, yeah. should come as no surprise to anybody. But so a big objection that I'm hearing a lot is, you know, I don't have this money to make a big initial purchase. So, you know, while the last thing we want to do is, you know, negotiate a discount down so far where, you know, there's no longer a mutual benefit where we're, you know, taking advantage of these um, entrepreneurs. But, you know, there are creative ways, I think, to kind of um, figure out, um, yeah, a mutually beneficial way. Again, I'm just totally troubleshooting here. I do think that's a, and I would say any entrepreneur that's listening, considering this, because I will be sharing this to my, with my guests with, I mean, with my listeners as well, because I got to let them know. Um, but any entrepreneurs that are listening, I would say, think about the cost savings you're getting by not having a marketing person go out and get that user generated content for you, or you're using your own time to get that user generated content and use that to actually figure out the value add that that gives to your product. So you can give not just a, you know, a randomized discount number, but you can give a strategic discount offer based on what value it's generating for your business. Yeah. And I've, I've done some of these agreements um, when I had my physical space and what I love about it is, you know, when you're working entrepreneur to entrepreneur, you can do a test, you can start small, right? We don't have to go big or go home right away. We can say, Hey, for one video, we'll test it out. You know, maybe we just get a free sample or maybe one shipment at a discount. And then you can kind of evaluate. I think a lot of my clients, at least, I don't know if you have the same experience, but a lot of my clients, they have this, you know, fear that, you know, everyone is better at business than them. Everyone has it figured out more so than they do. And they are afraid to, you know, come to the table and negotiate. And a lot of us forget that, you know, there's usually just another entrepreneur trying to make it, you know, um, on the other side of the table. And, you know, I came from the corporate world as well. So I have this fear, like, you know, I had to watch a lot of those pitches that you described where people would come in and pitch their products to this large fortune, fortune 500 company. And it feels very formal, like very like shark tank esque, but it doesn't have to be that way. Right. It can just be a conversation. Like we're just kind of troubleshooting right now. So um, I think that's one of the things I love most about small business owners working with these niche toy creators. 
I actually feel like I have a follow-up question for you. Um, sometimes when my small, like the small entrepreneurs want to work with these specialty toy store owners, they're not sure if they're willing to test their product. So I guess what kind of, what feeling do these specialty toy store owners have about working with these new entrepreneurs when they don't know anything about their product at all? That's interesting. So I think it really depends on their specific niche. So like, for example, I have a lot of clients that work with like Montessori specific items or like all of the, all of the toys in their space are wooden and fit a very specific aesthetic. So I think when they're looking for these, these niche toy companies, I think one of the things that they're looking for is, um, you know, a company that shares very similar values. And if they find that perfect match, they're absolutely willing to test out products to be a part of that process, especially because so many of the people that I work with are also parents and Mm -hmm. they see, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kids every single day. And Not many people can have that same unique perspective, even teachers, right? Because teachers operate in this kind of controlled environment. They're seeing the same kids every day. They have, you know, they have budgets, they have a curriculum that they have to follow. Whereas indoor playground owners, we have this unique perspective where we see kids of all abilities, kids of all walks of life kind of coming in, playing with these toys in very unique ways. And I have to tell you from owning my play space, you know, I would have never guessed the way some of these kids utilize these toys, good and bad, which again is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because, you know, we have this really unique perspective in that we see all of this opportunity, like, oh, this toy could be made better if we just made this adjustment or things like that. So I think that we're very much, you know, willing to be a part of the process. It really, to me, when I see, you know, these perfect partnerships form and see success and that mutual benefit, it comes down to values. So, you know, Mm -hmm. who are you looking to impact? How are you looking to impact them? So is it the neurodivergent community? Is it, you know, increasing cultural diversity in a space? Um, You know, is it making something more physically accessible? So I think the values is what it kind of boils down to. I'm really looking forward to connecting your students and mine, because there are some students of mine that are so afraid that they're not doing the business the right way, or they're not making enough progress fast enough that they actually want to sign with what we have in our industry or distributors and the distributors or sales rep groups. And then the distributors or sales reps groups will own an area of business. So like say they'll own Northeast in in America and they will be the ones who will shop and get placements for those, but they'll take a huge percentage. And and my students don't have a huge margin because their their order numbers aren't, their MOQs, their minimum orders aren't that high, right? Um, so what I would love is just to connect them with an opportunity to say, no, you can do this on your own if you're willing. And if you have, if you're going to commit the time to it and you don't have to necessarily go to a sales rep group, group, which actually might make your pitch more sterile and not hit as close to home to these play space owners. Yeah. And kind of to your point about, you know, about being nervous to form this, you know, deep relationship. I've seen a ton of indoor playground owners lately. They'll take like one or two samples and then exactly what you said, they'll put it on the shelf, they'll put a demo out and they'll put a QR code and that can be sent directly to that toy manufacturer's website. So they're not even needing to create that inventory. And of course, um, there has to be that sort of agreement there. But there's, I mean, so right now, and again, we're kind of just 
Yeah, that's basically a having like a coffee chat right now. But yeah, <laughs> um, something that I've seen a lot of my clients do and find a lot of success with is they'll just reach out to all the local creators in their area. So like they find them at craft shows or their yeah. customers that come in and say, hey, I make these, you know, Stanley koozies or I make these, you know, these very niche items that I think this the customers of this business would love. And again, they just put one out there. They put a QR code. Oh my gosh. Just directly from there. And that's something that I've really seen an increase of like literally in the last two years, because I mean, I know when I own my space, we did like a lot of Melissa and Doug, we did a lot of, um, fat brain toys. And what I would see is I would see people, you know, look at the products. They, they test it out. A lot of times you would have like the Melissa and Doug product, for example, in our play area, they'd say, where'd you get that? And I'd say, Oh, right here. You know, you can buy one they literally open their phone and buy it on Amazon to save like $2. Wow. So, so, you know, in this small boutique place-based business, a lot of people are seeing the same thing. Unfortunately, we just can't compete, you know, against these Amazon prices. So the way that they're, the only way that they're able to find retail success is by providing things that they can't that- uh, you know, find anywhere else. That is what specialty toy store owners are all about as well. I I tell my students, I'm like, you know, don't put it on Amazon if you can wait and you want to get it into specialty stores. And if you do put it on Amazon, it cannot be cheaper than what you offer specialty stores. And honestly, for your business to function, it shouldn't be. Amazon's uh, margin, you can they can take out like 60%. You know, so you shouldn't make it cheaper on Amazon. You need to make money. So make it cheaper for those in-store purchases so you can drive sales to the people that are supporting your business. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've seen it on the flip side. People are willing to pay more on Amazon because their credit information is already stored. Oh my gosh, no. But the QR code idea is is smart. And I've seen that with larger items. So I have a friend and he said he has this really large scooter that no one can fit on their shelves. So they'll put one in the window and then they'll have, um, they'll drop ship it. So someone can actually go order it at the register and then that information will come to his company and he'll drop ship it. And that's a big benefit of having a physical brick and mortar space is a lot of the people coming in and inquiring about these items, they're local. And, you know, a lot of members are membership based. So these people are coming in again and again. So they're okay with, you know, placing an order and coming to get it next month. We used to have people order coffee from us because they loved all of our coffee flavors. And I would just add it to our, you know, monthly order. They would come in, they would grab their bag of espresso. Um, so I really think the possibilities are are endless there. Wow. Wow. So um, just a quick question, because again, I know that my students have made, and myself included, I include myself in this, but we've, you know, made a lot of mistakes, um, you know, partnering with these toy companies. Are there any mistakes that you've kind of seen on your ends? You know, I know you mentioned, you know, taking um, sales too fast or rushing the process, but, you know, as you know, a lot of these smaller indoor playground owners, as we're researching these niche toy companies, is there anything that we should look out for other than like the safety testing? Or have you seen any of your students run into mistakes with working with these specialty? Oh my gosh, so many, (laughs) of course. That's why I have a program. Um, But uh, 
you know, under, okay. Like making it really clear what your desired uh, sell-through rate will be for this product or what you're expecting based on other products you have in the store, especially if you're working with newbies, they might not even understand what sell-through is. Um, so you should make that clear to them so they know what to aim for and give them some um, direction or examples of how people have helped drive that sell-through in the past. Um, and then, you know, letting them know, you know, yeah, I do want to hear from you. <laughs> you know, some of my students will sell into the stores and if they haven't gotten to the module nine yet, they don't know that they should follow up and, and ask, Hey, it's been, you know, 60 days. It's been 90 days. D did you sell through that product? Do you need more? You know, just follow up and ask because they don't have time to chase after every single vendor that they have there because they are ideally all unique vendors that they can't find on Amazon and, and it's not easy to contact every single one. So you got to do that follow-up work and automate it if you can. Um, so I would just say, you know, probably pricing, watch out for pricing. I would ask these um, new independent store owners, I'm, I'm sorry, I would ask the new independent toy creators, um, what is your MSRP? What uh, is your map pricing? That's, you know, something that a lot of them don't do early on because, again, they want to make the sales process easier. But map pricing is just the lowest amount that you allow other retailers to sell the product for. And you as a, a, a toy store owner want to know that um, or a play space owner want to know that because you want to make sure that it's not going to be cheaper somewhere else. Ask them if it's on Amazon, if it's on Etsy, how much it is on all those places. Um, and, you know, double check it, honestly, if you have some time so that you're not buying something that somebody will just come in and purchase um, online and get, you know, something else. And if they do have the same product online, one of the things you could do is ask them to bundle it. A lot of new toy creators tend to have like books that go with their product, or they might have like another version of their product, like a mini version. I would ask them like, okay, I see you have the same product on Amazon and it's a really competitive price. Do you have another product that maybe we can bundle this with that, what, that won't make my price go up too much or that you can give me a discount on so I can almost have it at the same price and be really competitive with Amazon, you know, ask them for these things because they might have excess inventory of a book or a past product that they're trying to get out of that you could bundle with the first product to make it a more appealing offer for your customers. That's really good to know because that's something that I, again, probably wouldn't have thought to ask. Um, but we talk about bundling services and products all the time on this podcast. Yeah. I just would have never asked, or I would have never thought to ask a vendor for that because, you know, to your point, we have so many different independent vendors that we're working with, not just toy related, but also, you know, our coffee suppliers, our cleaning supplies, like our yeah. play equipment suppliers. Oh. So I'm so glad that you brought up, you know, making sure that the toy owners are following up. But, you know, for me, I used to have to force myself to follow up if I ran out of something, you know, so it's a two way street as well, because a lot of times if I sold out of something, you know, sometimes it would just be easier to order double of the person who's just reaching out to me consistently, you know, because oh, it's, it's so just, true. It's just, I mean, a lot of my clients are also parents. They're running brick and mortar businesses, but they're also, you know, spouses, they're parents, they're, they are wearing a million different hats. So I love that you, you know, mentioned to make it as easy for us as possible. And then it's a two-way street. So we need to make it as easy as possible for um, you know, these independent toy creators to give us new ideas or if they have a new product or a new offering. Um, so I think that's that's a really great way to look at it. 
Another thing you might be able to do is, I don't, not sure if they would share this, but if you register to go to a toy industry trade show, you might be able to ask them, hey, do you have a list of the new companies that are going to be at this show? And just so that you don't have to walk the whole show and you might miss somebody. But before you go, you can get a list of who's actually new at this show so that you can focus in on them. Or maybe two years old or just one year old, someone new or new-ish. Yeah, because they're probably going to be a lot more likely to work with you and come up with creative oh, yeah. terms. Yes. Awesome. Well, I I think this was a really great conversation. I know I have a lot of follow-up questions for you, and I know that we're going to do some really cool collaborations coming up, so I'm really excited. Me too. Um, is there any last advice that you want to leave people, um, especially to kind of bring the conversation back to our initial um, conversation topic for anybody who you know, is maybe looking to get into the toy industry as a creator, because I, I know that a lot of people are in that place right now. They just don't have an idea yet. Yeah. Okay. So I do, can I, cl- can I plug my boot camp? Of course. Because <laughs> I do have a really affordable, um, great toy idea boot camp, and it's a great starter guide to vet your idea, visualize it with the help of AI, of course, um, and then kind of make a vow, make a vow to what you're going to do with this idea in the next six months. Um, you can go to learn.thetoycoach.com slash bootcamp. It's only $17, super cheap five-day bootcamp. So I would say go through that because you just want to see how it feels to start working on this. And if it lights you up, then you can go further. You can dive into my episode, start with episode one. It basically starts with the beginning process. Um, And then you can say, okay, I'm going to develop this product or I'm going to join TCA, but just start with vetting, like looking through the market, vetting the idea, and then promising yourself you're going to do something with that. Yeah. I think that's great advice because I feel like the toy industry is so similar to the play industry in that, you know, as consumers of toy products, we feel like we know it all, right? oh, you know, you just get yeah. this idea and then you find someone to make it and then you just sell it, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people feel that way about the play industry. So I I love the suggestion to really dig in before you make any concrete plans. Um, because again, a lot of us are, you know, have retail shelves and we sell toys. So I, I love that you have a way for people to kind of dip their toe in the water without diving in, you know, head first in the deep end. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I will definitely link to that in the show notes. Yay. You're so welcome. And you're going to enjoy it. So um, for those of us who, you know, just want to kind of follow along your journey, where is the best place to follow your business and connect with you if we, we want to join TCA or if we just want to follow you? Yeah. So I guess I would say the toycoach.com. I used to say Instagram, but visibility there is terrible. So I'm going to say the toycoach.com. Uh, that's where all my updates are. Um, you'll get, you should get on my email list. If you go to um, the toycoach.com and just take the quiz to discover your toy path, you'll get on my email list. And I will let you know every time I have a new podcast episode out, every time I launch a new bonus with TCA, I launched a new one where if you join um, now, you'll get uh, into this like toy trade show, the Astro Toy Trade Show. So like things like that, you'll find out if you're on my email list. So go to the toycoach.com and, and get on that. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and expertise today. It was awesome talking to you. Take care. All right. That wraps up my interview with Ajelle Wade, aka The Toy Coach. So again, I've linked Ajelle's website and her social media handles and her podcast in the show notes. So be sure to check it out if there is anything that we talked about in this episode that you would like to learn more about. 
All right, have an amazing holiday season and I will see you right back here in the new year with a resolutions episode. Have a great week, Playmakers. Playmakers.